Okay, let me get this straight. Let me just get this straight. Y'all couldn't get Joe Biden an Aquafina? A little bottle of water? Some hot tea? This guy's giving one of the most important speeches in American history. And I got to watch him battle phlegm for 15 minutes? You couldn't give Joe Biden a little time out? Here's some hot cocoa. Here's a lozenge. Now get back to the microphone. What are we rushing Joe Biden through the speech for? Who are the assistants in charge of this? You got his tie looking sharp. You combed his hair. His skin is looking radiant. And he's coughing and gargling phlegm throughout this big speech. The Electoral College makes it official. All the votes are submitted. All the controversy seems to die down for a moment. Just a moment. I mean, it's back and it's going to bubble up for a while. But Joe Biden's speaking to the nation. Every channel is covering the speech. And you know when it started, you hear the little tickle. Oh, the viewer is thinking, come on, Joe, you got this. Then you heard, you heard, a, little, you heard a little more in the back of the throat. And you go, come on, just give him a water. It's okay. We don't need to see you battle through the back of your throat to get through these words, Joe. Are we that impatient? No, we all wanted to see him have a little sip of cranberry juice or Earl Grey. Get the fucking guy a camel back. All right, just have a straw coming out of a backpack connected to his mouth. If he needs a little sip, fine, but I can't handle that. I can't handle that anymore. I can't handle anybody battling through their own saliva and coughing through a speech. It happens to all of us. It's normal. It's fine, but nobody needs you to power through it, Joe. Nobody needs that. You kept, oh, you kept coughing, coughing right into his hand. And you just felt it. You just felt the critics coming out. Is he okay? Is it COVID? Is it the flu? Does he have a cold? What's wrong with Joe? What's wrong with Joe? It's a big night. It's a big speech. He sang some important things, but all I could think about is call a timeout, take it to commercial, let the man get a little TV timeout on the bench, and then bring him back without the frog in the throat. Folks, I know it's low-hanging fruit. 78 years old. And I'm actually not making a joke. I think the age jokes are tasteless. Let me tell you that right now. For all of the late night shows that are going to be making fun of his age, he's 78. By the end of the term, 82. Old jokes? I don't get it. We're all going to be that. Or we should pray that we all get to be that. So that's not where the humor lies. It's more of a mystery to me. 78. 78 years old. Can you name one job where a 78-year-old is in their prime, and you better be in your damn prime if you're going to have the most important job, maybe in the world, definitely in the country, the President of the United States of America. It's an important job. I would say it's important, right? But think about the other professions where you probably wouldn't want a 78-year-old. 78-year-old surgeon? No thanks. 78-year-old high school teacher? Eh, probably no thanks. 78-year-old lawyer? 78-year-old cop? 78-year-old firefighter, 78-year-old accountant, 78-year-old aerobics instructor, even though that could be funny. No, no thanks. But yeah, maybe the most important job we've got going, 78. And kudos to Big Joe for having the balls. Fearless leader who wants to do this. But could you imagine how many people are working day and night with him to give him his vitamins, to make sure he's on the treadmill? I imagine... He has a dietician watching everything, baked chicken, broccoli, and a little tomato biscuit night. You think he drinks? You think he has the occasional glass of wine, vodka on the rocks? I don't know. I don't know what his habits are. 
but I know he has to commit to the healthiest regimen to get through these four years of focus. That's a grueling schedule. Okay, Joe, and we can't have the coughing. We just can't have the constant coughing. I'm not saying young people don't cough. I'm not saying that, but the optics were no good. The optics were no good. We needed Joe to have a sip of hot tea and damn it, that speech was aggravating because you knew the content was good. At least I, was, I thought the content was pretty good. I was listening. You think Joe's actually typing his own tweets? I don't. You think he cares about Twitter? I don't. So maybe we do need somebody at this age who's so disconnected from the social media toxicity that just like doesn't give a shit about any of that. It's so beautiful. He doesn't care. He cares about the country. That's it. He probably doesn't even care about the coughing. He doesn't care about the interviews. He doesn't care about the tweets. He's a throwback. That old Joe Biden, he's a hell of a throwback. I did Google Joe Biden young today. Wow. Wow. I found a picture of him from 1826. He looked really good. Really good. But I do have the solution and I'm here to tell you. And I thought about this all day. You ready for this? You sitting down? All right. No more presidents after this. Goodbye. Bulldoze the Oval Office. We're done with this. Dog and pony show. We're done. We're done. Too much pressure. It's too stressful on all of us to have presidents anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. I like the three branches. I like democracy. But this idea of a president, a party system, these multi-million dollar campaigns, let's end it. It's not working. It's terrible. It's bad for all of our mental health. It's bad for our relationships. I'm talking about community relationships. Because this current system, it just allows the most popular candidates to sit in the highest chairs in the highest offices. And how'd you reach that popularity? Was it because of your brains? And most of the time the answer is uh, no. No. Probably came from a good family. Probably some privilege. Probably a lot of social networking, social capital. Probably went to the right universities, met the right people had the right campaign advisors. You know, these people are not the smartest. They're just not the smartest. I'm not saying we haven't had smart presidents, but look at the list. How many corrupt, shady, cheating, lying, sons of bitches have we had in that Oval Office? Goodbye. What we're going to do is find the smartest human in a specific age range, 30 to 60, give or take a few years, we're going to find the smartest human in the country based on a test that every American has to take. And it's 1,000 questions. And there's a lot of science questions. There's a lot of photosynthesis, thermodynamics. There's a lot of meiosis and mitosis. There's a lot of science questions. Every American between 30 and 60 has to take this test. And it's just to be the leader. We don't call it a president. We just say, oh, he's the leader or she's the leader. Or they're the leader. I'll get the pronouns right. Okay, they get to be the leader. They got the highest score on the test. How many people would finish the test? There you go. All right, already filter out a bunch of people that say, I don't want to take it. There you go. And it comes down to some of the big brainiacs who are just ready to be robotic, pragmatic, objective thinkers. Not get caught up in emotion. They're too smart for that. There's going to be so much math on the test. There's going to be grammar, spelling, punctuation. I want the leader to be so smart that none of us question this person. We just go, ah, that's the leader. Who am I to question that guy? 
or girl or person. I want this person to be so fucking smart that we don't even tweet about them. We, we don't even have opinions. There's no analysis. There's no more channels on TV analyzing this person because they already proved it. Now, who creates the test? I don't know. I don't know. But it's a big test. And this person could be a doctor, a mathematician, rocket scientist. This person could have a law degree. I don't know who this person is, but they will be undeniably the smartest person for four years. And at the end of those four years, the next person to get the highest score on this 1,000 question leader quiz, standardized test, takes the seat. And on and on and on and on until we keep elevating the brain power that's coming out of DC because I'm sick of this shit. You're sick of this shit. I'm sick of this shit. Coughing through his speech. Hurting our eyes with an orange glow the last four years. Can't handle this shit. I just need brains. That's it. That's it. Other countries would admire that. Hey, who's the leader of America? Oh, it's the smartest person in America. Conversation's over. I know this starts a bigger conversation of how do you prove intelligence? How do you prove intellect? How do you prove that this is the smartest person? Okay, it's tough to prove it, but let me just ask you a question right now. In your own sphere, in your own family, group of friends, peers, acquaintances, think about one of the smartest people that you actually know. There's something different about that person, right? There's just something a little different. Like I start to think about my smartest friends. A guy named Zach Permit comes to mind. Smart guy. And just like SAT's no problem. Schoolwork, no stress. Jobs, conquer all of them. I know smart people. My buddy Mike, very smart. I've had coworkers throughout the years. Not many, but a few where I go, oh, you're smart. Oh, you're like really smart. Just things come easily to you, naturally to you. I've seen it in my family tree. I've seen it. It's impressive. It's a beautiful thing. You know those smart people? Let's have those people, at least in the mix, taking the test. Not the people who are glad-handing at that high society gala. Is it gala or gala where they all wear their cocktail loungewear and say things like, oh my God, I love Aspen this time of year. Fuck all them. Fuck all them for the elite society to be running the show enough. Give me the brains. Or at least give me an Aquafina for Biden. That's all. There's no shame in pausing, by the way. I'm going to pause right now to take a sip of my tea. Yeah, I have tea tonight. I have tea. I don't always reveal the beverage, but tonight it's like a autumn harvest blend. Caffeine-free. It's good. It's got a bunch of spices. See, I'm going to sip it right now because I'm attempting to continue the podcast. If I was fighting my throat the whole time, wouldn't you turn this shit off? If I was fighting the throat, I was like, I have an idea. The smartest, <clears throat> the smartest people get to be the leader of the country. You'd say, what the fuck? Take a sip. That was me watching Biden. Take a sip. Ah, take a fucking sip. I lost so much time today Googling Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain, it's a name like Paul Bunyan, Davy Crockett. You just go, whoa, what a legend. Is Paul Bunyan real? I'm actually not kidding right now. I know Davy Crockett was real, but now I have to Google. Paul Bunyan. Who was Paul Bunyan? All right. I didn't even want to grab my phone. But hold on. Some of you are thinking, oh, you're definitely not going to be able to pass that. Leader of the country. Paul Bunyan, a giant lumberjack and folk hero in American and Canadian folklore. Oh, okay. Folklore. Oh, yeah. He was rolling with Babe the Blue Ox. So, no. 
That's just lore. But Wilt Chamberlain is lore as well. If I say Wilt Chamberlain, you start thinking of crazy things, right? He scored 100 points in one basketball game. Didn't he play with the Globetrotters and visit Moscow during the Cold War? Didn't he have sex with 20,000 women? It's like you describe all this. You go, is that true? Is there footage of that? Is that well documented? That's Wilt? What a name. What a life. What a man. Why was I thinking about him? Because in world history class, teaching the kids about the Cold War, and I taught about the Globetrotters. Going to the Soviet Union in 1959. How do you like that? At the height of this conflict. I mean, bitter enemies trying to spread their influence all around the globe. Democracy, capitalism versus a communist dictatorship. But for some reason, the Soviet leaders allow the Globetrotters? Abe Saperstein is able to get his boys over to Moscow. And guess who's on the team that one year? Wilt. Wilt the fucking Stilt. Greatest nickname ever. Why is he on the team that year? I read two accounts. Number one, racism in the NBA, that there was like a quota system of how many black players you could have on each team. Or number two, that he left Kansas early and the NBA had a rule that they wouldn't take anybody until their graduating class in college was over and done with. Maybe a little bit of both. But no matter what, the greatest basketball player in the world, think about how funny that would be in the modern game. If the greatest player coming out of college, yeah, just had to take a little sabbatical with the Globetrotters. Like Magic Johnson coming out of Michigan State. Where will he land? Oh, he goes to the Globetrotters. Huh, interesting. Tim Duncan coming out of Wake Forest. What if he just went to the Globetrotters for a couple of years? That sounds insane, right? Well, this is true with Wilt. He actually went to the Globetrotters before he started his amazing NBA career. So this is 1959. And there are so many great stories of Wilt with the Russians, drinking them under the table, probably having sex with most of the women in the entire country. If the stats are correct, 20,000 different women he claimed in his book, and I'll get to that in a moment. But the anti-American propaganda, I mean, there was anti-Russian propaganda. Of course, even in my lifetime, there was a WWF tag team known as the Bolsheviks that we were supposed to boo because they're Russian, right? How many Russian villains were in all of the action movies I was watching as a kid? So that's all propaganda influencing us all to hate the Red Scare. I get it. But they had the same thing going on over there. So they were saying, look how the Americans treat black people. And there were cartoons and images of black people being whipped and enslaved and exploited. Okay, there's some truth to a lot of propaganda, let's be honest. But Will Chamberlain goes over there and he says, actually, I have a big house. I have a lot of nice women who enjoy having intercourse with me every hour on the hour, got a nice car and a lot of money. And I think Wilt, being a mouthpiece for African-American culture, misleading to an extent, but also it was pretty impactful to have these black players coming over there so friendly, so happy. They were coming over to complain about America. They were coming over there to make people laugh and play basketball. It's a beautiful story. And they even mentioned that Khrushchev came over to give hugs. Khrushchev, these are the folklore stories of Wilt. Khrushchev, Nikita Khrushchev came over to give Wilt a hug during the Cold War. Am I making this shit up? I'm not. Why? Because once you see your enemy up close, in your face, somebody that you've demonized through propaganda or indoctrination, once you see them, you go, oh, okay, we're all human, right? It disarms you. It's a beautiful thing. And then as I'm taking up the whole day to just scroll through Wilt Chamberlain articles, his Wikipedia took me a good 30 minutes. I learned something called the territorial draft. So this is the story. Wilt grew up in Philly, but how did he become a Philadelphia warrior? In the 1959 draft, they allowed NBA teams 
to forego their first round pick to take the best player in their area, in their city, in their town, in their neighborhood. They could say, you know what? Instead of having a pick in order, we're just going to take this guy out of college in our area. And even though he went to Kansas, they took him because he had the high school connection, his hometown connection. So territorial draft. This is how Oscar Robertson got to the Cincinnati Royals. And this is pretty interesting to develop interest in the local team. They would allow you to take the best guy around from your hometown. I kind of like that. And then the Philadelphia Warriors are sold and moved to San Francisco, I think, sold to a rich fella who paid $25,000 for the Warriors. Hey, I'll take him to San Francisco. And nobody in the Bay Area liked Wilt. I guess he had a bad attitude. I'm just reading stories today. Apparently, Wilt Chamberlain was not loved by his teammates or the fans in the Bay Area. San Francisco didn't fall in love with him, so they traded him to the 76ers. And you're wondering, when are you getting to the sex stuff? Okay, okay, okay. So Wilt writes a book when he's 55 years old. And in the book, he claims he had sex with 20,000 different women throughout his life. And most people go, wait, wait, what? Is that even possible? And people start doing math. This caused people to grab the calculator. But no one knows when it started. So maybe he started at age 15. You could say maybe at age 15, Wilt starts humping. And by the time he's 55 and writes this book, he says 20,000. And yes, that's more than one woman every single day. Wasn't he busy playing basketball? Other friends have chimed in. Other Wilt Chamberlain friends have said, yeah, Wilt loved threesomes and foursomes, and sometimes three women would come to the hotel rooms after the games. Okay, so his tally was rising and skyrocketing with the amount of women per session. Now, keep in mind, this book comes out, I think, in 90, 91, 92, around there. And this is when AIDS is a big topic. And he gets a lot of criticism from feminists. He gets a lot of criticism from the black community for perpetuating racial stereotypes that they didn't like. He got a lot of criticism from people who thought he was just lying and creating a sensational lie to sell books. And all he said was, I just put that in there because I thought you'd be curious. Like no retraction, no remorse. Wilt was Wilt. Wilt, just like Joe Biden doesn't give a shit, didn't give a shit. Wilt didn't care what you think. Wilt was going to say what he wanted, which probably created a lot of enemies. But in a weird way, it's kind of admirable as well. 20,000. Is it true? We'll never know. We'll never know. Is it a world record? Has to be. If it's true, has to be. What's more fascinating, that or 100 points in a single game? I'll be honest right now. It's so obvious that the answer is 20,000 women in a lifetime. Actually, he didn't die when the book came out. If he was telling the truth, it's way over 20,000. But 100 points in a game in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And I read a book on this. I think a local guy here in Marin, Gary Pomerantz, I think he wrote a book about this. I read the whole book and you realize, okay, they probably weren't guarding him. Not a lot of defense in that game, right? And it might have become a little gimmicky. There's no footage of this game. There's no footage. But in Hershey, Pennsylvania, one night, Wilt put up not 98, not 102 points, but 100. And we all know that famous photo of the 100 drawn on a piece of white paper. And that's all we have. So that's more folklore. See, today... We're so inundated with so much footage, so many filtered photos being talked about on so many channels throughout so many websites. It's like we don't even have the capacity to honor any accomplishment for more than a minute. Stories don't have any shelf lives anymore. But 100 points in a game, that indelible image of that one photo, just one photo can mean so much. That's why history's cool. It allows us to have theater of the mind. We start to create the images in our mind. Hmm, what was that all about? In our minds. In our minds. Speaking of in our minds, do you know the song Renee and Georgette Magritte? 
with their dog after the war by Paul Simon. Do you know this beautiful song? Maybe one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. Well, if you listen to it, kind of like James Taylor with the song Mexico, you might go, what is happening? What are these words? And I was listening to it this morning. I listened to it a lot. It's just one of Paul's best. It's a little bizarre. And I was thinking, I need to know the story. I need to look up these lyrics. And even as I read the lyrics, I said, I still don't get it. So I Googled Renee and Georgette Magritte story. And it did not fail to impress. As the story goes, your buddy Poole, your buddy Poole is over at Joan Baez's house. About to have a little recording sesh, a little jam sesh. And as Joan is getting ready to come out, he goes to her wall of books and pulls out an art book of Rene Magritte, the surrealist painter. And just looking through this book, this biographical book, with a bunch of Rene Magritte's pieces, there's a picture with the caption, Rene and Georgette Magritte with their dog after the war. And that's all that Paul read. That caption allowed his mind, his creative mind, to go on overdrive. He just thought, all right, that's a cool enough caption for me to sit down and write some fiction. Just some creative writing. That's all it is. If you listen to these lyrics, he's creating these memorable moments as if they're over at a friend's house and they bust out some doo-wop records. Renee and Georgette Magritte with their dog after the war. To him, that was enough of a starter. That caption was enough of a story starter for him to just make up a bunch of shit. Had no evidence that the Magritte's ever listened to doo-wop when he starts talking about all those doo-wop bands, the deep forbidden music they'd been longing for. None of it is about Rene Magritte. None of it. It's just him guessing. This would be a fun party game. The next time we could have parties. Just have everybody find a photo caption, and then they have to create a whole story. And the only rule is it can't be true. It can't have any truth to it. So just listen to a little bit of this right now. Let it in your soul. I think, you know, times are a little stressful lately. Listen to how beautiful this song is. My wife and I saw him do this live at the Greek Theater in Berkeley. It's one where you just clench your jaw and you're like, why am I almost crying? The lyrics don't mean anything to me, but just something beautiful about it. And just filled with so much nonsense. Beautiful, creative, imaginative nonsense. Was that a hot piccolo? Rene and Georgette Magritte with their dog after the war Return to their hotel suite And they unlock the door Easily losing their evening clothes They dance by the light of the moon To the penguins The moon glows The Orioles and the five satins the deep forbidden music they've been longing for. Renee and Georgette Magritte with their dog after the war. What? How beautiful is that? You're thinking that has to mean something. Brought tears to their immigrants' eyes. This couple slow dancing to the vinyls. 
None of that happened. Paul didn't know them. Plus, the photo was misleading. What war? Post-World War II, I think the photo was from the 60s. The penguins, the moon glows, the orioles, the five satins. This is just Paul basically having a launching point to start talking about his love of doo-wop. Paul, we know you. We know what you're up to. That's why, to be honest, I'm not a lyrics guy. My wife is. My wife memorizes all the lyrics to every song. Not on purpose. It just gets into her brain that way. I'm not like that. I like melodies. I like beats. I'm not really listening for messages. Because when I do, I get so caught up in it. I'm like, what the fuck? What are they talking about? Then I Google it and I get a story like that. And I go, oh, okay. Okay. Quick question. Is it an American law that we have to love Ted Danson? I want you to answer that. You ever met somebody that's like, I don't like Ted Danson? Of course you haven't. They'd be arrested. They'd be exiled. Actually, they'd probably be executed. Ted Danson is an American treasure. Okay? It's been programmed into all of our minds, and we know that's a law. You don't go against that belief. Ted Danson is always in a show. Do you know this? Ted Danson, who we all fell in love with as Sam Malone, on the hit show Cheers. After Cheers, do you notice Ted Danson kept starring in shows, and it never stopped? And it never stopped because, I guess, with test audiences, he does real well. I didn't really become a movie star. I know he was in some big ones. He was in Three Men and a Baby, which I think I liked as a kid. I think that's one of the first movies I saw in the theater and I claimed to like, even though you know I wasn't following that plot. There were so many movies I saw when I was a kid and I just liked looking at, like Three Amigos or The Princess Bride. Did I really understand the nuances and the plot development? No, but I was just like, yeah, it's good to look at this movie. What other movies did he do? He was in Made in America. But after Cheers, Becker which I watched, I actually watched Becker, and there was a show, The Good Place, and then Bored to Death on HBO, CSI, obviously in Curb Your Enthusiasm, loved him and Mary Steenburgen in Curb Your Enthusiasm, but I've just noticed in the last few years, there's always a promo on a network show, Ted Danson is, Ted Danson, Sunday nights, is the electrician, I think Ted Danson just lives on a Hollywood TV production lot, he just lives there. He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a car. He just wakes up in a bed and the makeup artists come over and they hand him a script and they go, Ted, could you do this? Here's the money. And he goes, of course I can do that. Now get the fuck out of my face. You know he's an asshole in real life. Just kidding. Of course he's not. Of course he's not. He's Ted Danson. But he really is in a new show. NBC's Mr. Mayor. It's Ted Danson with that friendly face. It's one of the friendlier faces you're going to see in showbiz. Now I like Ted. Okay, so I'll probably watch this show for six to seven seconds before I turn it off and wonder what the hell's going on. Hey, Muggs, you know something? I'm in a Ted Danson rant. We can't have the coughs. Okay, this is important. This is really important. Do not ruin the seventh night of Hanukkah. Everyone knows that's the most sacred. Tuesday nights, Ted Danson is the executive chef. CBS This Fall, Ted Danson is back at it once again. As the virtuoso, he plays the accordion, and we all go, man, that's a friendly face. Ted's really bringing it home. We all like Ted, right? Is that a universal law? It is. However, I got to bring something up right now, and I'm going to lose some listeners. I am. I'm just going to lose some listeners by saying this, and it's a risk I'm willing to take. There's a couple celebrities who are so well-loved and so revered and described as such legends that it almost makes me hesitant To admit this. And I've never admitted this. (sighs) 
take a deep breath. But I'm here to say it. David Letterman, Bruce Springsteen, I don't get it. I'll start with Bruce. He was the musical guest on Saturday Night Live. People have a weird relationship with Bruce Springsteen and his music, like he represents a slice of Americana. And every song I've ever heard of his is just so shitty. And I give him a chance every time. I go, all right, come on, Bruce. I want to be like the rest of America. I want to assimilate. I want to be like those people in New York and New Jersey who treat him like a god. I want to get it. I, I want to actually be in the in crowd when it comes to Bruce Springsteen, the boss. But it's just awful on my ears. His voice sucks. It sucks. I'm sorry. Okay? And for you Bruce Springsteen fans that have given me your attention through the first 119 episodes, and now I have broken your heart with that revelation, I'm going to miss you. But I understand. This will be the last episode you tune in for. His band, the E Street Band, they're all talented musicians. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? They're clearly talented musicians. But they're stuck in this time, and I think it insists upon itself, as Peter Griffin said. Like, you're almost embarrassed if you don't like it, if you don't get it. And I don't get it. He has this guitarist who looks like Sam Kinison, and they sang into the same microphone at one point on SNL. What's that move? Hey, 80s rock bands, what's that move? Where two fellas get mouth-to-mouth on a microphone? Is that a cool move? Maybe it made me uncomfortable because of COVID. I was just like, ugh, that's a lot of saliva going into that microphone. But what, what's that about? Can't everybody have their own microphone? See, two guitarists playing back-to-back. Okay, that's an old move. I get that. Very Motley crew. But hey, it's one mic and we're both going to shout into it. Not for me. How about Letterman? Okay? How about Dave Letterman? I've had friends who worship Dave Letterman. I read books about stand-up comedy. The way they describe Dave at the comedy store in the early days. It's like a genius. Smart. I think he's probably a good joke writer. But I used to watch his show. I never enjoyed any of his monologues. Any of it. And it's almost like I'm exposing myself right now because I've wanted to. I've wanted to so badly. I've wanted to love Dave Letterman my whole life. His interviews are so boring. He seems disinterested. I'm not saying he has to be like Jimmy Fallon, like a fanboy. But there's just something about him. Like I wouldn't want to meet him. Even on that docuseries I loved about the comedy store, I didn't love the way he came across. Very guarded at times. Dismissive at times. Now I'm being too analytical. I get that. But if we're just talking about Dave Letterman, the comedian, I've seen some of his comedy and it's like good. Okay. It's not like it rubs me the wrong way, but he's viewed as a total legend. And now he has a new Netflix show and the interviews are truly boring. He does his best. The beard's tough to look at. But now that I've said Letterman and Springsteen don't do it for me, And I tried to tiptoe into your good graces with the Ted Danson rant. And that fell flat. But I understand if this is the end for us. I get that. Look, we're going into a new year. We're going to have some relationships stop and some relationships start. If you love the boss and Letterman so much that I have offended you to your core, then I'm sorry and I understand but I do not have another podcast to recommend right now. So you probably have to stay with this one. Actually, let me thank all of you for staying with this one. Anybody who listens to this nonsense, I truly appreciate it. I was thinking about that the other day. There are some wonderful strangers out there tuning in. And I want you to know, I'm grateful. I don't take it for granted. I'm incredibly appreciative. It was like an acceptance speech at some award show that nobody would attend. But uh, it's because of you that I thrive. All of you. All of you. I had one more thing I wanted to talk about. 
but it's so uninteresting. I'll just get to it. Have you noticed that there's a lot of French on your toiletries? Things in the French language on all your cosmetics and toiletries that are not from France? This is some marketing bullshit. Pour la courbe, elle a chantre bien. Elle est entre les de toilette. Elle est entre bien de la sonde de la jaune. And you're like, it's fucking soap made in San Francisco. Why so much French? Does it make it look fancier? Is that our view of the French? Fancy toiletries, smells, scents, perfumes, anything. It could be your soap, your shampoo, your conditioner, oral products too. But anything for our bodies, the toiletries, the cosmetics, just walk down the aisle and look if they're giving you a translation into French. And you're probably going to tell me, yeah, because it's made in France. Duh, dude. Look where it's made. It's probably made in France. No, I looked. I'm sick of this. Deodorants. Belagine Travébion. No, no Belagine Travébion. This shit's made in Modesto. Okay, enough's enough. I like the French as much as anybody else. But let's stop giving them credit for making our toiletries look fancy. <laughs> That's what I'm really passionate about. That's what I'm really passionate about. You got me, pal? All right, let's wrap this baby up. Drop a rating on iTunes if you get a chance. Also available on Spotify if you like Spotify. I just signed a $100 million deal to join Joe Rogan on Spotify. It's like when Al Adels said he and Wilt Chamberlain combined for 118 points that night in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So me and Joe Rogan have decided to move over to Spotify for your listening enjoyment. That'll do it. Episode 120. It's in the books. We'll talk to you. Soon, au revoir.